John chapter 9. I am truly, truly enjoying working my way, our way through the Gospel of John. I, I, I do hope that you are and trust that you are also. And I do trust that you're taking a few notes, either that agree or disagree with, with me or have your own direction that you've gone with a particular test, uh, text as you continue to study uh, throughout the week also uh, through the Gospel of John. And so I want to remind you, I think there might be some Scripture journals in the back yet. We'll be in the Gospel of John yet for some time. So I think there's some back there and something you can write with. This morning may be one of those mornings. I, I don't know as I approach each text. There's just so much there. I just, I just am really enjoying the Gospel. So anyways, um, let me move on and uh, let's look at the text that is before us this morning, and that is John chapter 9, uh, verses 35 through 41, as we end this ninth chapter. Um, John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41, and God's inspired word reads, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord? that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. Lord, I just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now as we spend a few moments um, looking at it and looking at it and trying to, um, trying to extract some application and meaning from it, Father, would you just uh, guide us this morning and with the power of your Holy Spirit illuminate this text for us in a way that not only do we understand it, uh, but know how to apply it. And so, Father, I, I pray um, for your direction this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you blind? Are you blind? Now, uh, uh, have you ever asked that question of someone? Has someone ever asked that question of you? Are you blind? Either way, if you've asked it of someone or someone has asked it of you, it was never taken as a compliment or given as a compliment, was it? It's typically not. A simple definition, if you were going to do a Google search, which, which I took the time to do, uh, there's so many interesting thoughts and some interesting ideas that come from it, but it is simply if someone says to you that they are blind or is someone blind or is blind, to a fact or a situation, you mean that they ignore it or it is unaware of it. And then although that you think that they should take notice of it or be aware of it, right? I mean, when we talk to somebody and say, well, are you blind? What we're saying is it's obvious to me. How can it not be obvious to you? And it obviously is obvious to you. Therefore, you must be blind. So this is, in essence, what Jesus is asking of the Pharisees in our text this morning. And this is exactly what the Pharisees are asking of Jesus. Are you saying that we are blind or that we are unaware? Is that what you are claiming? So in case you have forgotten, maybe, maybe you have, uh, that this is the year 2020. And, and many organizations and churches, uh, they have played with this idea of 2020 vision. 
and, and it works well. It makes for a great marketing campaign, but unfortunately, as we have discovered and found out, and as I said at the beginning of this year, 2020, I was excited for 2020, just because the whole idea of, of 2020 vision. I was to see the optometrist the other day, and, and I thought about this once again, how he can tune us in and, and adjust our eyesight, and I guess that's what we're in right now, is having our eyesight adjusted, because 2020 has not been anything that anybody has foreseen, right? And what we are reminded of is that we do not get to see the future, do we? I mean, nobody has predicted what is to come. I mean, you have some outliers that make, make false claims or make some claims, I should say, that they've seen this or seen that. And, well, it's easy to say you've seen something after it's already happened. Uh, it been nice to know ahead of time. No, I think so. Uh, but nonetheless, I think for the most part, we don't hear a lot of that. And what we do hear is that we had no idea what was coming. But what we need to do, and it's a reminder to us to stay focused on the task at hand. And as we have already heard this morning, that now is a grand opportunity, not like it wasn't before, but especially when our minds are, are so singularly focused on our current events, that it gives us an opportunity to adjust ourselves what is really important to us, what is important to you, what is important to me. And as Christian people, how do we function in the world and in the place and in the location that God has placed us on purpose for a purpose, right? And so this morning, I want to look at our text here, and, uh, and it has one meaning, but I do want to draw out uh, about four different applications for us. And now they're my applications, so you can certainly take them or leave them, but it puts some ideas or thoughts in, in, into your head as, as how we can possibly apply this, this text to us this morning. And so we're going to start out, are you a believer? We're going to answer, ask four questions, and then we'll get some application of those four questions. The first one is, are you a believer? And we find it in verses 35 down through verse 38. So it starts out with verse, verse 35, and Jesus heard that they had put him out. So Jesus heard that the Pharisees had put out this blind man out of the synagogue. Because as we already seen, that this blind man came along, and all of a sudden he's seen. Jesus put some mud into his eyes, and, and first he spit in the, in the dirt, right? Made some mud, put it into his eyes. And of course, the whole problem was that it was on the Sabbath. That was the problem. It wasn't that Jesus gave this man sight or that Jesus gave this guy um, the ability to see or anything like that. It was that he'd done it on the Sabbath. And so, uh, obviously, they, that, that's not acceptable to work on the Sabbath. And, and this blind man got maybe a bit cocky with the Pharisees and saying, well, well, this is an amazing thing, right? I mean, here, this guy opened my eyes, and you wonder where he is from? Obviously, he's from God, and they didn't like that remark, and so they, they, they put him out of the synagogue and said, go find another synagogue to worship him. And so when Jesus came along and he heard that they had put him out and finding him, and I do find it interesting that John, as he records this event for us, he makes a point of telling us that Jesus found this man. And of course, I could certainly gravitate towards that comment and really spin a nice sermon from that, but I don't want to do that per se, other than I do want to put it before you that Jesus found this man. This man had never seen Jesus. he never seen Jesus prior to his eyes being opened. After his eyes were opened, he didn't see Jesus because he had to wander off down to the pool of Siloam with mud in his eyes. How could he see who Jesus was? He didn't know Jesus prior. He didn't know Jesus afterwards until Jesus found the man. And I think we can take some confidence and assurance in that, that Jesus will find us, right? I mean, Jesus will find us. No worries there. But what is in a name? 
And so I want to leave that. What is in a name? Because Jesus asked this man here in verse 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, I don't know about you, but that's an interesting way to ask this question. But what is in a name anyways? I mean, we put great value and great stock in names. And as we have named our children, if you've named your children or know people who have named their children, much thought goes into giving ourselves a name. So here Jesus says, have you believed in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is, is a pretty common title that Jesus gives for himself. But there's another title or another name we see throughout the biblical text, and that is the Son of God. They're often used interchangeably, but I wonder if there's something more to it than just Son of Man and, and, and Son of God. And so we want to look at that just a little bit, not a whole lot of time in that this morning, but just, just a little bit because I do find it important. But Son of God, of course, is not as common as Son of Man. And uh, Son of God is, is used 27 times throughout the gospel. Son of God. Used 27 times, and I, I, I know I get nerdy on some of these things, but so, so 27 times. And I found it interesting, though, that uh, uh, the Son of Man is actually used 86 times in those same Gospels. But the, but the Son of God, uh, John the Baptist, says, calls Jesus the Son of God. Nathaniel, when he called Nathaniel, uh, while he was sitting under that fig tree, Nathaniel called Jesus the Son of God. Now, Jesus very rarely calls himself the Son of God, but he does that four times in John's Gospel. We'll just focus on that this morning. So he does that four times in John's Gospel. And I thought it was a little bit interesting, the times where Jesus calls himself the Son of God versus the Son of Man. Um, so in, in John chapter 3, verse 18, all these will come from John. Jesus said that you, the judge, because you didn't believe in the Son of God. If you don't believe in the Son of God, Jesus says... You will be judged right after John 3.16, the most famous passage in all the biblical text. In five verse, chapter 5, verse 25, when he, Jesus is talking about the resurrection, he says that at the voice of the Son of God, the dead will rise. In 1036, when Jesus, when the, again the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of blaspheming because he said, I am the Son of God, and therefore they attempted to stone him. And then in the 11th chapter, verse 4, as Jesus is raising Lazarus from the grave, Jesus says, this happened. Lazarus died, and I got to raise him for the glory for the Son of, Son of God. I found it somewhat interesting where Jesus chose to use Son of God versus Son of Man. But Son of Man, nonetheless, is used more often. And 15 times in the Gospel of John, 86 times, as I already said, in the Gospels, 90 times in the New Testament. So only four times outside of the Gospels. We first hear about, uh, about the Son of Man. Uh, and I'm going to reference this simply because we hear about some of this stuff in our current climate at times when you look at prophecies and such. But if we go to the book of Daniel, the letter of Daniel, uh, we see at the second half of Daniel where he rolls into some prophecy to come. He says this, he says, I kept looking, the seventh chapter, I kept looking into the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the ancients of days. So the Son of Man came up to the ancients of days, God the Father, and was presented before him. 
And to him was given, to the Son of Man, to Jesus, was given him the dominion, glory, and the kingdom that all peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now, why did Jesus choose here to ask it in such a way? And I believe it's because they were extremely, they, they knew the Torah. They knew the prophecies. They knew the book of the prophets. They knew where this phrase, the Son of Man, comes from. And this is just another way that Jesus is pointing to his deity and pointing to, I am the Messiah. Because that's John's whole point for writing this gospel, is that we may know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. And so Jesus is drawing reference to this prophecy of Daniel by saying, I am the Son of Man. This is who I am. So in verse 36, uh, as we continue through this, verse 36, he says, he answered, who is he? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? Now, the first Lord here says, who is this Lord that I may believe? Lord here in this sense, in the original language, is just a sign of respect. We would call it sir. Who is he, sir? Have you believed in the Son? Well, who is he, sir, that I may actually believe? See, the man, again, never seen or never knew Jesus prior to this, before he was healed. And I think we also could, could, could see here that though this man was healed from his eyesight, it had absolutely nothing to do with this man's faith. This man didn't even have a faith in God. So his faith is not what healed him. It was Jesus' prerogative to heal this man, and he did exactly that. Now, Romans 10, chapter 14, it would tell us that, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And I point that to you because that's what this man is saying. Well, who is he, Lord? Who is he, sir, that I may believe? And so Jesus says, I am he. Not only am I he, but I'm standing here before you, and I'm also the one who is speaking to you. And so we can certainly see here that it was at this moment, at this man hearing and seeing and receiving Christ, that he finally uses Lord in a different sense of the word. And he says, that I may believe. And he says, Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. He is the one who is talking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And he worshiped him. I find it interesting that the first thing this man did is worship him. You know, I think a true faith, a true sense, and as we truly know who Lord, who the Lord is, who Jesus is, it does lead to worship, doesn't it? It does take everything that is before us and just put it aside. Worship here is just not, it's just not lip service. If we were again going to look at the word a little more thoroughly, which I won't necessarily do, but it's also a physical action. And often it's in a way of to prostrate oneself, to lay down before God right on our face and worship God. It's much more than just a lip service, much more than just an acknowledgement in that way. So are you a believer? Is the Lord, is Jesus more than just a respectful title? Many have respect. Application number one, many have respect for Jesus today. He was a good person. He was a good teacher. But he must must move beyond the respectful title of sir, of Lord, of just a good man, of just a good teacher. And he must be 
your God. Just as he was for this man who had his eyes open before him, once he realized and acknowledged, he worshiped him. So, number two, second question, verse 39, are, are you blind? Are you blind? And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that, and this is going to tell us why, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So Jesus says, for judgment, I came into the world for two purposes. Those who see will no longer be able to see, and those who can't see will now be able to see. So what are we going to do with that? Well, we'll save that for just a bit. And first, we're going to look at this first part of this verse. For judgment, I came into this world. For judgment, I came into this world. How are we supposed to reconcile that with many other places where Jesus says that I have not come for judgment? That's a problem. Some would call it a contradiction, but it's not. But I want to look at it just a little bit because we can't just gloss over that because it's kind of a, a big deal. Because many people want to claim and many people want to say, and rightly so, well, Jesus did not come in to judge. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. But yet here Jesus says, I did come for judgment. And so what, what gives? And so I want to look at John 3, 17. Of course, that follows right after our most famous verse in the Bible. In John 17, it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God didn't send His Son into the world to judge it, to condemn it but that the world might be saved through him. In John chapter 12, verse 47, we have something very similar to that. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, Jesus says, I don't judge him. For, guard, for connecting, for I did not come to judge the world. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. So we have those, those two texts that we're quite familiar with, and rightly so, I think we give those a little more attention than we do of a verse that is before us here this morning. <clears throat> but in verse 39 of our text this morning, this word for, for judgment, we've got to look at these words just a little bit, so forgive me for that, but we've got to look at them just a little bit because the word here, here for, for judgment is just the, the content, the content of the process of judging, Right? It's a very minor distinction, but I think it'll be helpful for us. So here in verse 39, the, the word, it, it, it's crima, so it's just for the content of judging versus crino, which would be the act of judging. So in verse 37, verse John 3.17 and John 12.47, the word here <clears throat> that's for judging is to actually judge, is to actually convict, it's to actually uh, find that person guilty. And so John 3.17 and John 12.47, they're not saying that the world will not be judged. It's not what those verses say if you looked at those a little closer, which I would invite you to do later in this week. But if you look at those words a little closer, it doesn't say that, that the world won't per se be judged. It's not exactly what it is saying, but it is saying that Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, did not come to do that judging, but to save. So, still kind of leaves us with our dilemma, does it not? How are we supposed to reconcile verse 39? Well, I, of course, context is everything. And so, again, I want to demonstrate that to you this morning. Context is everything. 
You know, so many times we want to pull a verse out of its context and hang our hat, hang everything we have upon that, and we miss the context. So John 3.17, Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world. What does John 3.18 say? It says this, He who believes in Him, he who believes in Jesus, is not judged. Goes on, he who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So John 12, verse 48, right after that verse I'd read earlier. Stick with me here. We're going to go somewhere. He who rejects me, Jesus says, and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. So again, I have to remind you, the first judgment that we've seen in John chapter 9, verse 39, is the process or the content of the process of judging. The one that we just read here in John chapter 3, 18, and John chapter 12, verse 48, is the actual judging that is handed down. And so what Jesus is saying is that I have not come to hand down this judgment. I have come to provide a way. I have come to provide a model for you. I've come to offer offer you a way out, if you will. Now, it's up to you if you take that or not. It's up to you if you reject that. If you reject that, I'm not the one who's judging you. You're doing it yourself because you yourself have rejected the opportunity that is now here before you. So a person's rejection of Jesus as the Christ is what will judge a person, not Jesus. Jesus has provided what is needed. That, that is a very small distinction, and maybe you weren't even following me this morning. But I hear it over and over and over how people want to say, well, Jesus did not come to judge. Jesus didn't come to condemn. And therefore, what they're implying is they're giving themselves a pass on whatever they want to do. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. We will be judged for our actions or our lack of actions one day. No, it's not Jesus per se in this particular context. It is first coming that will do that judging. But he's providing for us a way out of, a way of escape in the midst of that. And it's up to us. It's up to you what you do with that opportunity that is given you. Are you blind? (laughs) Right? Our focus should not be on the salvific nature. Our focus should be on the salvific nature of Jesus. Our natural inclinations as human beings, right, is not not for good. Of course, we define good however we want to define it in our own context. But listen, if you're honest with yourself, you know you struggle with whatever it may be. You struggle with truly being the person that you want to be, that you know God has created you to be. And we need to be careful on ourselves because we're not going to reach that moment of perfection here in the now. That's for glorification for a future time. But for here and for now, we need to know that we are sinful. We are fallen, natural human beings in need of a Savior. Jesus says, I've come to provide that. Will you accept or will you reject? It's quite clear, is it not? Are you blind? Application number two, Jesus says those who feel this way, those who feel the hopelessness of their condition, because they know within themselves they cannot live the way they're supposed to live. It's those people who actually will see. And it's those who think they've got it all figured out and can live to the letter of the law that Jesus says, no, you're actually blind. You're missing it. You're missing it. Number three, are you a, are you a poser? Verse 40, are you a poser? 
<clears throat> Jesus continues, and it gets interesting. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, are we blind too, are we? The NESB translation, not necessarily good English, but it is in the correct order. Say, so, Jesus, are you really saying that we're blind? Well, they're, not, they're, not, they're not really slow, are they? I mean, they're, they're pretty quick. I mean, it's interesting that these Pharisees, they did not miss a beat. They knew exactly, and they clearly understood what Jesus was referring and that he was referring to them. And so again, we are to understand that Jesus had made himself clear. There was no misunderstanding Jesus. They chose to reject Jesus. And because of this clear and willful choice, they will be judged. Judge, condemnation can be all so negative. But only, only in the sense, only in the sense that we don't have it in the context of realizing that we're not. Jesus has come so we don't have to be judged. Jesus has come so that we don't have to be condemned. Harsh would be not giving the people a clear message. Harsh would be sending a confusing message. Harsh would be not giving a people a way out. And that's not at all what happens. In Romans chapter 2, verse 27, Paul quotes Ezekiel 36 when he says this. He says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. God says he will redeem his holy name from among the nations. A little bit earlier, verse 19 of this second chapter of Romans, Paul says, you are confident, speaking again to the religious people, you are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who walk in darkness. Speaking to the Pharisees, the name Pharisee literally means separated ones, those who are set apart for the work of, of God. They should have certainly recognized Jesus. And that's the thing. They did recognize Jesus. They did recognize Jesus. They were separated so that they could be that, so they could be that guide to the people. Josephus has this to say about the Pharisees. He says, they were so great a power over the multitude that when they said anything against the king or against the high priest, they were presently believed. That's the status that the Pharisees had among the people, that great respect. And so of all the people to recognize Jesus, they did and they should have. But the problem is, Jesus was a threat to their position of power, and so they rejected Jesus. They had the opportunity to do with their position for good or for evil, and because of their threat to their power, to their position that they felt from Jesus, they chose to reject. It's the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. It was obvious in their day, and it's obvious in our day as we read about the Pharisees. <clears throat> so we do have to ask ourselves, though, right? Don't we? I mean, are we a poser? I mean, what about us? Are we blind? Or do you claim to see? Are people receiving the message you are sending? We may not have the largest platform. You may not. In fact, maybe you think you don't even have a voice, but you do. God has given each one of us some form, some type, some place, no matter how big or how large or how small that platform is. What are you doing with that platform? As people look at the platform and hear the voice that you have, and, and as we speak the claims about our faith and we make the claims about our faith, do our words and our action align? Do they line up? Are we sending an unclear message? I can stand here and I can preach and you can see me throughout the week. Am I sending a confusing message to you this morning? 
I mean, that's a serious question I think we all need to ask of ourselves, do we not? And it starts with me. What kind of message am I sending to those who are watching? Am I being pharisaical? Am I being a hypocrite? You know, it's amazing how so many times we hear people, they go to church or they've been to church maybe once or twice or whatever, and they never go back again because they say there's nothing but hypocrites there. Well, we're just people, right? Sure, we make mistakes. Sure, we mess up. I don't think that's a fair excuse for them not attending, though. But we do need to be careful on the message that we are sending. Well, let's bring this ninth chapter to a close here with are you biblical in verse 41. Are you biblical? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you claim to see, therefore your sin remains. That's a confusing statement by Jesus as he ends this, isn't it? In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12, it says, Do you see a wise man in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Well, what does Jesus mean by you were blind and you would not have sin, but since you say you see, therefore you do have your sin, there does remain. Could he be indicating that since they have seen, but especially since they heard They are aware of and have been informed of their sin. Therefore, since they claim they do not have sin through though they are rejecting Jesus, their sin indeed remains. That's all confusing, is it not? But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If they say they see when they don't actually see, then how can they repent of their sin, right? If I say, no, I'm living, I'm a good person. I'm crossing all the T's, I'm dotting all the I's. I've got it all figured out. It's that person that can't repent from the faults, the shortcomings, let me put it that way, in their life. It is the saint who is most aware of their sins, most aware of their blindness that we can truly see. I mean, think about the people you may give that title, saint, a little less. All of us are saints as Christians, but we know what we mean by that word. Think about some of those people. Some of the humblest people, some of those who are so quick to acknowledge their shortcomings in life, those are the ones that Jesus says actually see. It's sometimes the preacher who's got it all figured out that's blind, huh? You're thinking it, so go ahead and say it. <laughs> right? I mean, all of us, sometimes it can be so difficult. John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us that there was a light, there was a true light, which comes into the world and lightens every man. What do you do with this light? What you do with this light matters. Reject the light claiming to see is a sure way to wander around the darkness. Verse 41 should give us pause. If I interpret it correctly, you can correct me if I didn't, but we have more information available to us than at any time in the past. And not, not to be arrogant, but I think collectively, as a group of people, a group of Christians, a group of, of, of people in 2020, we have more knowledge, more, more things available to us than ever in the past. And with all that information, with all that we have before us comes a great responsibility on what we do with it. It is revealing as we listen to conversations, as I listen to conversations and debates on God, how one comes to their understanding correlates directly with their view of the biblical text. It was interesting. Um, You know, if we have a view of the trustworthiness of the Bible, if we have a view of the Bible as being authoritative, we have a view of the Bible as being 
an inerrant, meaning it won't lead us astray in all that it teaches us. Uh, if we have that view of the Bible, it's amazing how we look at that. You know, I was listening to a debate the other day, as I like to do <clears throat> from time to time, and, and it was on two uh, professors of philosophy. And so two really smart guys, and I always find this interesting also, but we'll leave that for another day. So to two very smart guys, right? And, and the, the, the question of debate was, is Jesus the only way? John 14, 6 makes it pretty clear that I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is what they were debating. The one smart guy, he says, no, no, that's not right, because actually that verse was added to the text. Interesting, right? So the other guy that says, no, Jesus is the only way, took the Bible as the authoritative, as the inerrant word of God. So the one who said no, right? Well, the one who said no, Jesus is not the only way. His philosophy got involved. And, and his human way of thinking got involved, which is so easy for us to do as we think about it. How can that possibly be that Jesus is the only way? But yet that's what the biblical text teaches. And that's the position the other one took. Your view of the biblical text is very, very important in revealing how you see God. In our text here today, now, now you know I always seem to land there, but, but in our text today, here was Jesus, physically in the flesh, without a mask on, <laughs> standing before the people, clearly spelling out who he was. They understood who they were, he was. They knew who he was. They acknowledged who he was. They didn't accept it. The information was clear. Jesus made himself clear. It was all there. And yet he refused, and yet they refused to accept Jesus for he, he, who he was. Why? Because it threatened their position of power. And I'm convinced that many of us are also threatened by the message of Jesus. It will threaten maybe our position in life, maybe how we are to relate in the world around us. I, I'll let you put your own thoughts into that. But Jesus' message is threatening. Jesus has lived. He has been crucified. He was buried. He rose again and ascended to the right hand of God the Father according to the Scriptures. Do we believe that? He has left us His Word in writing. In writing for us. Do you accept it? Or do you reject it? Are you blind? Or do you see? Lord, I thank You for Your message this morning. I, I pray that... Um, I pray I'm not blind. I pray we're not blind. I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds. Father, it can be so challenging at times to know how to live faithfully in the world around us. And yet you've equipped us. You've given us all that we need to live a faithful life, first and foremost, for ourselves. And then also in a time such as this, Ah, if we think of your servant that you said that she was, that they, Esther came along for a time such as this. And Father, maybe we have come along for a time such as this for such a crazy year as 2020. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to be able to, um, to live according to your plan and to also spread the hope that we have and know that only, that only comes from you. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.